Something wrong, right? You hear me over here? Okay. Bruchim Aboy Mishem Hashem Berachnuchem Mivais Hashem. Tonight, we're going to dedicate this year to Shishan Advera Bas of Yaakov Akayim. She's a Bas Kayim. Husband, I don't think so. A an extremely special neshama, and although most of us and I say most of us, I include myself. I actually begin with myself and anybody would like to include themselves with it um, are not experts on the Shamas. However, this is a person that the most feeblest of minds would understand and know what kind of great and high Nishama this person had. We asked a few of the former students of the school to put out the word that we dedicate the shir tonight in her memory. I'm sure they're all on their way. I'm sure there's great outreach to friends and people and notifications to a lot of other boys, telling them, I know, because there's very reliable people that were told to do it. Many years ago, from the Mishpachas Beis Harav, from the family of the Rebbe, is a relative of a family named Slonin. And one of the Slonims, they all lived in, in Hebron, and that's so. And one of the Slonims came to travel to meet with the Rebbe Marash, with the fourth Lubavitch Rebbe. And when he came to the Reb Marash, <coughs> the Reb Marash was very excited to hear a report from the brethren in Etzisrael, how Yidna are doing there, etc. And this Chassid said to the Rebbe, he has a problem, a little issue he has. There are people that say, it's said in Yemara, people will say it, that in Yisrael are special neshamas. The lofty neshamas merit to live in the Holy Land of Israel. He says, I don't see it. I don't see it, I don't understand where it comes from, I don't understand why it's said. I don't see it. So that Marash asked him if he was an expert on the Shamas. To which he obviously answered no. So that Marash told him, I want to tell you a story that I heard from the Tzemach Tzedek. Okay, actually, it doesn't say private. The story that I heard from the Tzemach Tzedek, he said, says many years ago. Um, okay, put it on. What would um, uh, a few minutes to take out the soda from the freezer? Many years ago, in Yerushalayim, in other words, Zemach Tzedek is telling the story of many years before him, there lived a variety of type of Jews. 
Amongst the variety that there were of Jews, they were the loftiest of Jews, the holiest of Jews. And on the flip side, they were the simplest of Jews. Amongst one such simpleton was a Jew today they would have all different kinds of diagnosis for such a person a Jew that just did not grasp he didn't grasp in other words he could not sit down by a shear to listen he did not know any part of Mishnayis Even his davening, he would get confused. What do we say on Sunday? What do we say on Monday? Etc. And he was a farmer. He had his fruits, his vegetables that he used to come and carry to Yerushalayim. He lived in a derful, a little townlet, away outside of Yerushalayim. And every week or so, he would come up to Yerushalayim with his fruits and vegetables to sell. And we'd go to a certain Rav, and this Rav would patiently and kindly fill in his sitter. Mark down for him which pages have to be recited on Sunday, what has to be recited on Monday. You couldn't tell him that on Monday they're going to read from the Tate, and therefore you have to say Burachim, and on which days you have to say which Tilim. Just look according to the day of the month. You couldn't explain that to him. He could not grasp that. So the Rav would patiently write down his menu of the week, of what a man would have to say each day in davening. Ba'ayim, and the man shows up in town, and the town is empty. It's still, it's quiet. Did I mix up my weekly calendar? Maybe it's Shabbos? Stores are all closed. Suddenly he sees a man walking with his towels and his twillin. Ah, he was relieved. He says, he only walked with twillin during the week. It can't possibly be Shabbos. And he approached the man and he says to him, Tell me, Rabbi Yid, where is everyone? And the Yid told him, It's a fast day today. The man was shattered. A fast day. And I ate today. I knew nothing of it. I didn't daven the prayers of a, of a fast. I didn't do anything. The man immediately ran to the home of the Rav. The Rav wasn't home. Where is he? He's in the shul. They're all davening. And he runs to the shul and the people, the shul is packed. Everybody's crying and davening. And he runs straight up to the Rav. He doesn't have any filter, as we say. And he starts to cry, and he says, How could you do this to me? And he says, What did I do? He says, You you didn't tell me it's a fast day today. And it's a fast day, and I'm not fasting. Ha! I didn't daven, I didn't say the prayers of the fast, anything. The Rav says to him, no, no, my friend, don't worry. It's not a public fast day. It's for the dwellers of Yerushalayim, because there's been no rain. There hasn't been rain for a while, and we're scared, God forbid, that a drought will kill all our crops. So we are fasting. So the simple man looks at the Rav, bewildered, perplexed, befuddled, and says, What? When there's no rain, you fast? He says, yes, that's traditionally what's done. So I never heard of such a thing. So the Rav realized he has something to tell him. He says, what do you do, my friend, when there's no rain in your fields? If it doesn't rain for a few days, I go out into the field, and I cry out to our Father in Heaven. I say, you're going to kill my crops. I need rain. And it rains. The Rav heard this, he says, no, Adrabe, 
Go out and do it. And he goes out to the courtyard of the shul. And he says, My brothers and sisters in Yerushalayim, they're going to die of hunger and die of thirst because there's no rain? How can you do this? You're a father in heaven. And he started to cry. And immediately clouds gathered and the rain started to pour. Says the Rebbe Marash to this fellow, to his cousin, you want to be a mumcha, you want to be an expert on the shamas of Yidin and Yedetzisrael? I'm sorry, my friend. This was a simple Jew, according to everyone understood. But he went out with one prayer and did what the entire community couldn't do with their fasting and their dying, crying in shul. This Shoshana Dvera Basab Yaakov happened to have a tremendous love for Yitzhak Not only she had a love for Yitzhak and would visit it as often as she could. Wait, i got to get mine out of the freezer. You're going to have to hold on over there. It's cooling off. It's hot. Not only she had a love for Yitzhak for herself and for her children. But she even saw to it that the students in the yeshiva, which she unofficially really ran, also, when they graduated, would go to Yisrael. And I can tell you that all the students that did so can attest to the fact that this was the biggest move and the smartest thing they ever did and they only can attribute this to her. A woman that the these devotion and dedication and a drive like no one else has ever had. Something that none of us can actually live up to, the energy and you would imagine that she was getting an executive salary in the school I can tell you I only bless the rabbi that he should find a lot a lot of money now quickly so he can pay back all the back pay he owes her and everybody else It was a school, a yeshiva. It is a school, a yeshiva. It's run by Mr. Snefesh because the rabbi wants this in his father's name. Um, it's a different twist of a yeshiva that gives children that don't really make it or don't cut it in the yeshiva itself it's also obviously not tearing people's skin off from the noses with their tuition how many of the students didn't pay anything and Mrs. Hagler Shoshana Dvera Basar was there way far beyond the call of duty. What she did for the students, what she did for the Talmudim, she invited them to her house for Shabbosim, Yom Tevim. If she knew a Talmud needed something, clothing, whatever it might have been, yeah, open this stuff up, please. She was the first. She saw to it that money was put together. She saw to it that it was purchased. She saw to it that things were taken care of. It was an incredible, incredible thing. Open everything, sip. You have anyone wants to take. I will say we come Melanda Escalti. I've never seen a person 
that could do such a magnitude of multitasking to stay on top of all the government programs to make sure the students had all the tests and the regents and the every she was just a one man one lady team show it was just an incredible experience so even those of us that are not experts on the shamas that are not experts on souls I must tell you had you met this woman, you would know that this is a special neshama. So the Ilu Nishmasa tonight, saying Tikun, making different brachas, I'm sure she'll be a a defense attorney as she was here on this world for the students and for her family. I'm sure she will do the same, continue doing the same now. I'm sure they set her up a desk up there. Her husband's there how long? She's been a mother for many, many years. I'm sure her husband was in Ganadin. Is shocked now as he's introduced to a total new part of Ganadin that he never knew existed. And he joins her in her spot in Ganadin rather than her joining him. Although, believe me, her humbleness would not demand any such action. She gave everybody more than hope. She gave everybody life. Second chance. <laughs> second. You know something? The funny. It's a funny word. Second chances, because it so didn't exist in her, in her dictionary. And she would get frustrated sometimes, because she'd give over and over and over and a chance and another chance and a third and a fourth. And, and in any other school, guys, what they did would be long gone. Would be on the streets. She found a reason to bring them back in. She found a reason, an excuse to save them off the street. Just an incredible, incredible person. Let us turn our focus back to the regular shir. This week's Pasha's Bahar and Bechukesai. Pasha's Chazak. Most importantly, Shabbos Mevarchim Chedesh Sivan. I would tell you, if you're not here in New York, this is a weekend for the women. In not this weekend, next weekend. You need some time to make a ticket, so I can't tell it to you next Wednesday night to come on Thursday. But for next Shabbos, Pashba Midbar, is the Nisheyab Nights Chabad convention. On Thursday night, we have a group of women going to the oil. As we do every Arab Chaydish. Throughout Shabbos, there will be tremendous inspirational things happening for the women. And finally on Sunday, next Sunday, not this coming Sunday, May 12th, the women have their main session in 770 downstairs. The shul gets closed off and the women come downstairs. Really? And then after the session, the women merit to go into the Rebbe's room. 
The Rebbe is Yechidus Rumi. So it's extremely, extremely pres- pertinent and impressive and be a tremendous blessing. For women to participate and partake in this weekend. Again, not this weekend, next weekend, May 10th. To arrive May 9th in the afternoon. To go back on Monday or Sunday night. Um. There's places people to stay, there's food set up, there's meals set up in different houses for guests. If you're coming from Atlanta, I'm sure we have accommodations directly for them. Yes? Send your wife, send your daughter. You'd be tough it, rough it out as a bachelor for Shabbos. You and the cat, yeah. Pasha Bahar. I'm send the cat. <laughs> send the cat with No, the cat could stay in. Oh, you want the cat here for a while? Two days and the cat would be. Yeah. Pasha Bahar begins with something very strange. The first mitzvah discussed in the Pasha, Shemitah. On the seventh year, you cannot work. Ironically, it talks about the seventh year, you may not work. And then it says, six years, you should work. We see the same when it comes to Shabbos. It says first, the halacha in the Seres Adibris about Shabbos, that Shabbos we must rest, and only then does it say, in Sheish Shonim Tavid, Sheish Yomim, Sheish Yomim, Yomim Tavid. Only after it talks about resting on Shabbos, talk about six days you should work. It's a little confusing here. They tell a story of a a Jew. He wasn't a chassid actually at the time yet. That was a he. He dealt with fish, and in the fish business, he was very, very successful. And he made a lot of money. Only one of them, I mean. Me two the same. Unfortunately, the wheel of fortune sometimes turns on people. Especially if we're not prepared for it, we don't understand. The source of our income. And why Hashem has the money by us. His, unfortunately, whatever the reason, his income totally dissipated. He lost his house, his furniture, everything. His wife and children had to move into his in-law's house. And he sat in Bismarck, she sat in the shul. He was a lost soul. To go from the high of highs of money and all of a sudden to have nothing... I don't imagine what it's like. To have nothing, I know what it's like. But when you're going from somewhere and having and never having a problem paying a bill and all of a sudden you can't do anything, it's it's He was borderline nervous breakdown as we call it today. One day some Hasidim from the Bavich walked into the shul and noticed this poor fellow sitting and moping. 
They walked over and said, Shamalechem Ayid. What's the matter? So you'll never understand it. This is Chas Shalom. How can you say that? Tell us, please. And he pours his woeful story out to the Chassidim. Chassidim hear this story, obviously very, very sympathetically. They turn to him and they say, Rabid, come to the Rebbe. Come to Lubavitch, come to the Tzemach Tzedek. And get a bracha. This man was not a chosid, as we said before. But he was in a predicament right now where things could not get worse. And he acquiesced, he agreed. He picked himself up with his last few pennies and he traveled to Lubavitch to the Tzemach mm-hmm. As he came in, he told the Tzemach his story, how once upon a time what he was and what he now is today. Tzemach looked at him and told him, go to Berlin. Go to Berlin. You go to Berlin and everything will be fine. This fellow had no idea what Samoch was talking about. And he felt that Samoch probably doesn't know what he's talking about either. And he pretty much ignored it. However, when he returned home, the Hasidim asked him what the Tzemach Tzedek said, and he said, obviously, that Tzemach Tzedek said, go to Berlin. He says, he obviously doesn't know who I am, and knows nothing about business, because I don't have any money not to invest, and not to do, and not to buy anything, and not to travel to Berlin, and not to stay in Berlin, I don't have any money for this. The Chassidim heard this, and they said, nothing doing. The Rebbe said, go to Berlin, you're going to Berlin. They put together the money, that he should have a few days to stay there, that he should have some money in his pocket, he should have money for the train, and they shipped him off to Berlin. The fellow gets to Berlin, a very confused soul, say the least, not knowing where he's going, what he's going to be doing here. And he roams the streets. He's roaming the streets for a day, for two days, for three days. And obviously the places that he's looking is where he's familiar, in the fish area, the people that are selling fish. If the guy's not there, what's going to help? He has no money, what's going to help? On the third day, he's standing outside the fish store, and the fellow comes running out, and says, making fish? You understand anything about the fish business? This is something. So I have some carp to sell. Would you like to buy some carp? So I have over a hundred barrels of carp. I have nothing to do with it. And it's a lot of carp. And he has a hundred barrels of carp. It's a halbut He's ready to sell it to him for a ten rubles a barrel. Mamish chaykak. It's practically for free. The guy goes to the back and he's looking at the, 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 the carp and it's like a quality carp. He says, don't worry, I'll deliver it to wherever you want me to deliver it to. I'll send it over. Everything will be taken care of. Pay me in a week. Pay me in two weeks. I don't care. Take the carp off my hands. 
And he sees the guy just looking for an extra second. He says, okay, okay, okay. You got a bargain. $9 a barrel instead of 10. 9 rubles instead of 10. Before he could finish talking, the guy already wrote a receipt. The guy signed off on the fish. And he gave this fellow, the fellow signed off on his part. And the man walked out with a receipt in his pocket to receive his fish. When are you going back to your town? Whatever, I'll know when to deliver it to you. Okay. The next morning, very early, the clock off in tears, they're banging his door down. He figured, the guy already sent the fish over the Michigander. He opens the door, and there's four people standing there, no barrels, four people. And they all look like very Bakovitika people. And the first one says to him, Shalom Aleichem. My name is Chaim. And I am the uh, one of the fish dealers here in the town. And this morning out in the marketplace, we have a problem. There's no carp to be found. And there's a big demand for carp. We don't know what to do. So we went to the fish guy, and the fish guy said, I have carp taka, but I can't give it to you, because I already gave it to this guy, it's his guy, this guy's, you want it, you have to buy it from him. So here we are, we are desperate for the carp, we're willing to pay you 90 ruble a barrel, 90 rubles a barrel. The guy was so shocked to hear this. He didn't know what to tell them. They saw though that he's hesitating. So they said, don't worry, a hundred. We'll give you a hundred ruble a barrel. The guy took his receipt trembling. And gave them the receipt. Giving them the rights, the ownership of the carp. Signed everything off to them. They paid him on the spot cash. A hundred rubles a barrel. And they ran back to the fish guy and they took out all the barrels. And a few a short time later he walked over to the fish guy, paid his bill, and went home a very, very rich man. What is Shemitah? How does Shemitah work? And who benefits? Because technically, I would think everybody loses. And as we said before, it was a comparison of Shemitah to Shabbos, but the Pasuk itself compares it as it says Shemitah is Shabbos Lashem. So it's all to God. And the, our sages have made note the shame Hashem Kishem Shinema Beshabbis Bereshis. Just like it says in Shabbos and Bereshis, the same way also this Shemitah is for God's name. Just like the Shabbos, which is the seventh day of the week, is set apart from all of the days of the week, so too is Shemitah. It's the seventh year, which is separated from all the other years of the other six years. <coughs> Just like Shabbos is testimony to the fact that the Almighty created the world, because He created the world in six days, on the seventh day He rested, and therefore the seventh day is considered Shabbos Kedish, it's sanctified. And the same repeats itself every single week. There are six days of weekdays, and the seventh is a holy day of Shabbos. The same is also with Shemitah. The seventh year is separated for God, it's a holy and sanctified year. 
And it gives testimony to the fact that the Almighty is the Balabos, is the owner, is the world's boss. In our daily life, We don't do anything for the seventh year. In the year of Shemitah, we're not allowed to do anything, which we're about to discuss. In our daily life, there are times, even our physical, what we do daily, we see godliness in what we're doing. We go to shul, we go to seder, we go to yeshiva, we go to learn... When we are doing our holy things, when we are doing spiritual things, it's Shabbos Hashem, it's holy for God. So the person can think perhaps that at the other times, when I'm at home, when I'm on vacation, <coughs> I can leave God home, I can leave God in shul. The same thing also, when a person doesn't work on the field. For those of you that are, that are knowledgeable in farming, Barry, I know a lot about fertilizer. <laughs> you'll understand that a field is almost like a human body. And although it can produce as it works, it works, it works, a person works every year, Ultimately, as we say, the expression is, it takes its toll. A heavy physical job, to labor, takes its toll. And even if it's a cerebral business, you'll find those people that sometimes go over the deep end in the later, latter part of their careers. you find the biggest professors that begin to become absent-minded and become a little bit of a... Because they've been using, they overused and overtaxed their mind. The same is with the field. If you constantly plant and sow, sow and everything into the field, eventually the crops are not the same. However, when you leave the crops for one year, you don't touch this field, you don't disturb, do not disturb sign. You let it rest. The field produces the next year a richer crop. So technically we would say, I'm making the seventh year, I'm benefiting from it. It's to my benefit that in the eighth year the crop is better. And the fact is, Ironically, the, pro- the farmer asks God, how am I supposed to live <laughs> if I'm not working a whole year on my field? And says David, that the sixth year will compensate, and the eighth year even more so. And thereby, evening out the fact that the seventh year is no work. But during the seventh year, just like the farmer is supposed to dedicate that year to sitting and learning Teda and Aveda, the same thing also, the field is sanctified during the course of the year. It's not just a blessing in disguise in the fact that I'm not working on it, and therefore I'm benefiting because it reaps a better crop. So therefore the year of Shemitah is just like Shabbos. Just like the person on his daily life, even a weekday, which is a physical, like a land, and a person needs to make parnasa and needs to work, even those moments have to be Lashem to God. We should eat for God's sake, we should drink for God, we should work and do all our business, have in mind God always. 
everything in our daily life has to be with God. And this is what we learn a lesson therefore. When it says that six days, that Shemnasa Shemitah, and then it talks about the six years you should work, Shechanim Tavid. And when it talks about Shabbos Kedesh, and then it talks about the six days you shall work, the message is that you should realize that you get only what you're going to get during the six work days, or whether the six work years. You will only get the blessings, you will only be able to reap your profits if you have the Shabbos Lashem, the Shemitah which is Shabbos Lashem. If you dedicate and devote yourself always in a godly manner and godly fashion, then you ultimately can reap and you can bring in and bring forth the Shabbos Lashem. You bring forth that the six days are profitable. I just want to mention this week was like Ba'imeh, a small commercial break. This week was like Ba'imeh. And there were many, many parades. Here in New York was the great parade. Thousands of children. But every city managed to make one as well. Los Angeles and here, wherever it was. One city prepared an amazing program that bikers that were going to entertain. They had a concert at night, everything was outdoors. However, the Vetanavi, our meteorologists who know so, so much about what goes on in the world and control the world so well, predicted storms for Shabbos and Sunday. It was supposed to rain throughout. And they did not know what to do. What does a chassid do? A chassid writes to the Rebbe. And the Shluchim wrote to the Rebbe and asked the Rebbe Bracha that the weather should hold out for them and the Pu'ula should be batzlacha. I must tell you on Shabbos it did not look good. There were such torrential storms on Shabbos they got 7.4 inches of rain. Cars were floating. It was floating all over the place. Shabbos, Sunday morning, the clouds started to break. The sun started to shine. And although the predictions were rain for that day as well, repeat of what there was the day before, no such thing took place. And they had an amazing, amazing parade. At which point they they all said, the Gemara says, Kedaihu Rabbi Shimon Lismech Olav B'Shasadchak. It's Kedai, it's fitting to rely on Rabbi Shimon. Referring to Rabbi Shimon by Yechai B'Shasadchak when we are in a dire strait. And this proved just that. This proved it so, so, so much so that the Rebbe Shimon Bar-Yechai of our generation saw to it that his Maisid, his organization that organized such an amazing program did not get washed out, shall we say. This week, Pirkei Avis it's Perik chapter 5. Perik Hamishi.
The Mishnah tells us, chapter 5, Mishnah 5, Ten miracles were done to our forefathers in the Beis Hamikdash. The first of the ten miracles, Lehipila Isha Mideach Besarakedish. No woman ever miscarried because of the aroma of the meat of the holy sacrifices. I'm not a physician, and I don't know how that works. But I have heard of it many times. And we know, of course, that the sensitivity of a woman when she's pregnant, they become very sensitive to smells and to tastes and to foods. And more often than not, they throw up what they, whatever they can eat. And therefore, it's a very, very detrimental when there was so much meat and so much burning of meat going on. It was probably something that probably caused tremendous effect on the average pregnant woman. And therefore, the first miracle that said is that no woman miscarried. Now, we know that Pirkei Ovis is Milsa the Chasidusa. It's to teach us a lesson how to behave, how to act. <laughs> What does the ten miracles have to do with us? But the truth is that the reason that the miracles are mentioned is to show us the great love and the care that the Almighty shows our people. And thereby, ultimately, a person gets inspired and transforms this knowledge to his commitment to service of Hashem. And more so, when we hear such beautiful things happen in the Holy Temple, we start to yearn for the Holy Temple. When we start to yearn and daven for the Holy Temple, we will ultimate, ultimately merit to the redemption. But the question is why the first thing is no woman ever miscarried. First thing should be mentioned, something really spiritual happened. Why no woman miscarried? I mean, out of the miracles, ultimately, they say that the meat never got putrid. No fly was ever seen in the slaughterhouse. No one ever became impure. Actually, impurity never fell on the high priest and Yom Kippur. The rain never extinguished the wood on the fire or the altar. Etc., etc. So, so many spiritual things. Why start with the fact that the woman never miscarried? The people have to understand the value the Almighty has for them. And therefore the Mishnah wants to emphasize how dear every Jew is in God's eyes and therefore cites an, exa- an example that fect- affects the people on a personal level. What more personal is there than a woman, a pregnant woman, nothing affecting, God forbid, her or her child? That's what we look for, that's what we pray for all the time. <laughs> Ultimately, we have also the Pasha of Bechukhesai. Is it and also the Pasha which talks about the Chukim as well, how the people have to go in the ways. Of the Almighty, and if God forbid we don't, in any which way, form, or fashion, a Jew 
improvises or doesn't improvise, but actually slights and doesn't do what the way of Hashem doesn't go in the way of Hashem. Then Chas Shalom, Chas Shalom, and gives the curses that are brought down in today's parsha. As we know, the famous story of the curses of the parsha, but it's not here; it's later in Kisavai. Ultimately, I was looking for her. Um, I don't know how behind you, right here. In the side, there are many different things that talk about the, all the blessings and then the curses, and how the person has to learn from the curses, what we have to take from the curses. And of course, ultimately we looked at all curses should be reverted only to blessings. Amen. And again, as we see... The Torah finishes off again. Elah mitzvahs hashetiva Hashem as Moshe. These are the mitzvahs that the Almighty commanded to Moshe. El bnei Yisrael to the bnei Yisrael b'har Sinai. And since we know, of course, that this is always laid the smichas close to Shavuos, which we again mention of Har Sinai. The dedications that we have on Shavuos, which we'll talk about in Yetzirah Hashem in another next week. And this comes from also Vayikra al-Mesha, how the Almighty calls to Mesha. And Davke finishes off with how Mesha again is being told commandments that he has to ultimately give over to the Yidin. We are completing the month of Ir, this Shabbos, the Shabbos Mevarchim Chedish Sivan. Billionaire, next week we will talk about Eshchedish Sivan and Shavuos. The month of Ir, Ir is a Rashatevis. The word Ir is an acronym of Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, and Rachel. The month of Ir is a bridge. It bridges the month of Nisan and the month of Sivan. The month of Ir also is a month that's fully in the sphere of Saimir. Unlike Nisan or Sivan, that are only partially in the Aimir. Chaydish Nisan represents Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim and Chaydish Sivan which represents Matan Teda. When the Jews left Egypt, they ran, because they were leaving all the wickedness They wanted to depart from all the wickedness that was within them. By Matanteda, in turn, a new revelation came about. And this came about through Teda, through Eraisa, as we know the Yisrael Kuchibricha Kulochad. This unity of Jews and the Evishta shows that the Jews themselves become one with one another. As we know that Rishchidish Shivan represents Fayichan Sham Yisrael Negadahar. Even though there was still prior to Matan Teda, 
This was the preparation and the introduction to Matan Teda. As we know, it says, Neged the Vayichan Shamisal Yachid. Singular, saying that all the Jews as one rested. And Neged Hahar, which is mentioned over there, is Tavdun Asalikim. Allah said that you're going to serve the Almighty on this mountain. Since everything has to be in an order, in an orderly fashion, and you have to build yourself up in certain levels, so when we come to the concept of unity of Matan which starts already from Rishchidosh Sivan, after we finished with completing the actual service of Kiborach Ha'om, which is referenced to Yusias Mitzrayim, in the interim we have to have an Aveda of Merkava. We need to know a chariot. The chariot that takes us over from one to the next. Even though it's not something that's special, there's nothing special about the month of year, but still it becomes totally nullified. With total, total nullification to its chariot, and even more so to the rider of the chariot, referring to the Almighty. And thereby, ultimately, because the nullification took place throughout the month of year, therefore the person was able to achieve the concept of Matan Teda, of receiving a Teda, which is in the month of Sivan. And this is therefore the Rashatevis of Ir, is Avraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, and Rachel, as we know, they are the four legs of the Merkava, of the chariot. And thereby, the Aveda Shalema of Merkava is through the month of Ir. There are also opinions that say the fourth leg of the Merkava is David, which will ultimately ruin our Rashitavis, of course. And there's a difference between David and Rachel. Amongst the differences between David and Rachel, Rachel and David, Rachel starts with a Reish, and David starts with a Dalit. Another one you talk? David, Dalit representing Dalaisi and Rachel, Lifnega Yisrael and Alma. In many places it's explained that the Reish signifies poverty more than the Dalit does. The Dalit has an extra Yud to it. What is a Yud? When you look at the Reish, it's the curve. But if you look at a dollar, it has a little part to the top that sticks out further, which is a yud that's added to the to the reish. And therefore, the greater part, the greatness of reish over dollar. But the reish and dollar basically are the same. They have two legs to them. Which rep- represents Machshava and Dibur. Thought and speech. However, the letter Hey has three legs to it, which is Machshava, Dibur, and Maisa. And therefore, we understand the greater greatness of Sivan over here, because Sivan represents the Hey of Matan and the Dalit or the Reish is before Matan which is the month of Eir. So therefore we are looking now, this Shabbos, at Shabbos Mivarchem HaChedish, and we are anticipating that we will bench the new month, which will be on Erev Shabbos, and it will be a blessed month, 
a month where we will see happiness, we will see joy, and as we know the greatness of Matanteda, I can't, no time. The greatness of Matanteda that everyone was healed, everyone that had any ailment was healed from that ailment, and so too anyone that's missing or lacking anything will be blessed to have whatever they ask for. And we should be able to go this Chedesh Sivan into Yerushalayim, Irakedesh, with Mashiach, Tzidkenu, Mehrev, Yemenu. Shabbat Shalom to all. Amen.